Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Joy and sadness. Joy for some, sadness for others. The joy of the Master, the words of the prophet Zephaniah. So it was in the parable we heard last week with the five wise and joyous virgins and the five foolish and sad virgins. So it is in the parable we heard today. And so it is in the parable we will hear next week. All three about the last day and what that day, the day of the Lord, will be like. Joy for some. Sadness for others. And what makes all the difference, what always makes all the difference, is faith. So the parable today, the parable of the talents, it's often called. And with such a title, no wonder we focus on the money. For that's what a talent was, equivalent to about a year's wages. But this parable is not about the money. With God, it's never about the money. Money is nothing to God. When a poor widow put two pennies into the temple treasury, how many of the rich who put in large sums thought, two pennies, who cares? That won't make any difference at all. But it made all the difference in the world to Jesus. Or rather, it was the faith behind it that made it worth so much. Or how about a rich young man who comes up to Jesus one day and Jesus told him to sell all you have and give to the poor and come follow me. Without all that money, you see, you'll truly be rich, Jesus says with all the riches that faith receives. Or how about when some Pharisees and Herodians came up to Jesus one day and asked whether it was lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not. Jesus couldn't care less. Give Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Give him his stuff. Far more important, far more significant was to give to God the things that are God's. Your fear, your love, and your trust. That is your faith. And one more. When those who collected the temple tax asked Peter whether Jesus paid his tax or not. Jesus had Peter go pull a fish out of the sea, wherein there would be a coin in his mouth for him to pay the taxes for the both of them. We need money. The problem is often we love money. Make an idol out of it. Crave it. Serve it. Cherish it. Cheat for it. Hoard it. And never seem to have enough no matter how much we have. Which really is an indication of its lordship in our lives. Don't you think? If that's how we are toward it. And it's why Jesus so often warns 
against the love of money and its dangers. But if money is at or near the top of our totem poles, it is at the bottom of Jesus's. It is seriously hard to imagine anything that Jesus cares less about. He simply doesn't care about it at all. He cares about you. And he gives you what is far more important, far more valuable than money. For as Peter would later write, you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things like gold and silver, but with the precious blood of Christ. What money could not do, Christ did. And what money cannot do for you now, Christ does. So it is with the parable today. For those focused on money, this parable is all about the money. But for the Lord, for whom money matters not, not one little bit, this parable is about the joy of the Master. The joy He wants to give His servants. It's really a simple parable to understand, but maybe it is really in what is not said that we can learn something. The master hands over his property to his servants. Now our English translations there say entrusts, which is the word we would use who value money so much, you just don't give it away, right? But it is the word, for example, St. Paul uses when he's teaching the Corinthians about the Lord's Supper. When he says that what I have received from the Lord, I also handed over to you. It is the same word used of Judas, who hands over Jesus, that is, betrays him. So the master hands over his property, and here's the silence, with no instructions, no conditions, No strings attached. It almost sounds like a gift. But either way, two of the servants use that money and one does not. But we don't find out why until the master returns. And then we hear what the third servant thought of his master. That in his opinion, not only is he not a good master, he's not even a good man. He is an uncaring, greedy, wicked cheat. The first two said no such thing. In fact, they were completely unconcerned. They seemed to be filled with joy and in return receive more joy. They enter into the joy of the master, the welcome home feast for the master. But what had happened all those years, the the long time the master was away? How long had it been? Were there economic upturns and downturns? Had the servants at one time made more, 20 or 30 talents maybe, and then lost some? And and what did the master expect? Was this better than he thought they could do or, or worse? None of that's in there. 
Because none of that matters. It's not about the money. With Jesus, it's never about the money. Again, our English translations, while possible, may be misleading here. It says the master returned to settle accounts with his servants. That goes well with the word entrusts, right? But the word there could also mean to take it up with them, to talk with them about it, to find out how they are doing, how they used his gift. For us as Christians, either way really works. We know all that we have is from God. Everything belongs to him. He entrusts it to us. He gifts it to us. That's not the crux here. What is is what the servants thought of their master. Or, to put that theologically or spiritually, what matters is faith. The first two servants receive the property, use the property, and return to the master unconcerned and with joy. They didn't seem to think ill of their master, attribute to him any ulterior motives, nor worry about what he would say when they returned, as if they maybe had not been good enough or not. They just seemed happy to see the master, report to him what they had done, and go into his feast, into his joy, to rejoice with him and he with them. That's the picture of faith. And it is what the last day will be like for us. For we who know our Lord, that he is generous and giving. And how do we know this? From the cross. For there the Father didn't give you property or money, something he really cares nothing about. There he gave you, gifted you, his only begotten son. His beloved son, the most valuable and important thing to him. And there the Son gave His life, His flesh and blood for you. No ulterior motive, no strings attached, only to do good for you. To atone for your sin, to defeat your enemy, to conquer your death. That you have the gift of eternal life with Him, that you enter into His joy. The wedding feast of heaven. To rejoice with your Lord and He with you. That's all God wants. Money? Who cares? That's passing away. But Jesus passes away and rises so that you who pass away will too rise and so never really pass away. But that third servant He doesn't really know his master at all. And think for a moment how stinging and hurtful his words must have sounded to his master. For how would you feel if you were trying to help and there was someone that you were giving to and giving them your time and going out of your way for and they say to you, I know who you are. You hurt other people. Take what's not yours and swindle people out of their property. Wait, what? Really? 
Now that hurts in this world in life. But on the last day, it's deadly. Unbelief that doesn't worry about if I am good enough for God, but thinks that God's not good enough for me. And then unbelief gets what it believes. A hard and vengeful God. A God not good enough for the unbeliever. A God unbelief does not want to be with now is a God unbelief will be without forever. So instead of entering into the joy of the master, the third servant is cast into the outer darkness where teeth are not used to feast, but in weeping and gnashing. Joy and sadness. Joy for some, sadness for others. Jesus did not tell this parable to make you worry. If you're good enough or not, if you're using his gifts or his property well enough or not, if you're generating enough return on his investment or not. Rather, this parable complements the parable of the virgins we heard last week. The verses right before this one. That while we're waiting for the bridegroom to return, waiting with joy, I might add, because he is our bridegroom and we are his bride, the church, and weddings and wedding feasts are joyous events. While we're waiting for our bridegroom to return, we're not idle. But neither do we live in fear. We use, we invest the gifts, the talents he has given us now because we know him. We know who he is. We know that he has redeemed us, forgiven us, and loves us. We know that he's not a hard, uncaring, unfaithful, and unreliable God but one who gave his only son for us. And when he returns, we will meet him with joy. For he's not going to say, is that all? What else did you do? Where's the rest of it? Because any of your failures and shortcomings, and surely we all have those, are wiped out by Jesus' blood. Instead, you will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Words that really belong to Jesus, but then he gifts them to you. So, greedy for money, hoarding money, loving money, not a child of God. No. But if you see that in yourself, if you do that, repent. Receive the forgiveness you need here in these words and water and bread and wine and rejoice in that forgiveness and then go out and rejoice in your gifts. Invest them in others. Give to others as you have been given to. Don't wait until the last day to enter into the joy of your master. Do it now by being like him. Giving like him. So your joy can be the same. 
That in these gray and latter days, as Scripture calls them, while we are waiting for the Master to return, while we're waiting for the Bridegroom to return, you live in peace and joy. The peace and joy of the Lord. The peace and joy of His forgiveness and life. For as St. Paul wrote to the Thessalonian Christians, God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. Whether we are awake or asleep. Awake as joyful servants or asleep as wise virgins. Either way, when the bridegroom comes, we will enter into his eternal joy. For his joy is not in the money. It is that you are there. That's it. That you are there with him forever. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.